0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the 22nd chapter, glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46, and can be found on page 1535 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 22, 34 through 46. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No, no. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask to him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, it's all about Jesus? It is. It is all about Jesus or as one of my seminary professors used to say, and I still do, that in our Holy Bible, every jot and tittle points to Jesus. All true knowledge about God is knowledge and wisdom of Christ. You can't properly know God if you don't properly know his son Jesus it's all about Jesus it's always has been about Jesus from the moment God himself promised his messianic redemption from the garden of eden where we were driven from and a wedge put between man and God. God promised that his Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. And right up to today and into all eternity, that is true. It's all about Jesus. It's all about faith alone in God's gospel promise of grace alone. And that promise of grace that took on flesh and died and rose again for us and our sins. For we know faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. We shorten it, or I do, with Christ and Him, him crucified. Now, what makes the Pharisees question to Jesus it makes that question so absurd is this that these guys These guys focused on all the wrong things. They focused only on their ethics and their morals They said teacher Which law is the greatest law? now keep in mind that this question didn't have anything to do with the Ten Commandments, as Ken had mentioned. It had everything to do with their 613 rabbinic laws from the Talmud. Teacher, which uh, one of these rules and laws is the greatest? Which one, in effect, can you absolutely not break If you could keep one, which would it be? You see, they weren't curious. They weren't curious. They weren't stumped. They were trying to set Jesus up with a kind of question that they could trap him in. And whatever he said would be wrong, which was the extent of their whole plan. And of course we know how Jesus responds. He doesn't light them up and rebuke them for obviously being in a false doctrine or obviously uh, exhibiting uh, a damning pride. He doesn't ignore them either. Instead, he answers them. But he answers them in a way by redirecting them to God's holy word. He doesn't say, I think. He redirects them to God's word. He doesn't even direct them to one of the Ten Commandments as if one of them was better or more holy than the other nine. Rather, he directs them to the word of the Lord in Deuteronomy, which is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the great command of the Lord. The second command is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. All of Scripture... All of the law and the prophets all hang on this. Love God and love your neighbor. God's instruction book, the Torah, that's it in a nutshell. Love God. Love your neighbor. Yeah, even that neighbor. But then Jesus takes it a little bit further This is the key to understanding this text. He doesn't change the subject. Some people believe that he was changing the subject, but rather he narrows the subject down like a magnifying glass in the sun. He brings the topic of having God or loving God and loving the neighbor into a pinpoint focus on the promise to Christ. He says, what do you say about the Christ? And all true theology is Christology. This is important. And it was important for the Pharisees to understand, and it's important for us to understand. Everything God reveals to us in Scripture, every jot and tittle, everything in Scripture, from genealogies to... Levitical dietary commands, a book of rules, to St. John's apocalyptic revelation, all of it points to and finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God's word regarding sin and salvation, your sin and salvation, isn't going to make sense if you don't understand it through the lens of Christ. You need to think about this and what this means. You can be the very best Boy Scout or Girl Scout in the congregation. You can do all kinds of things and refrain from all kinds of bad things. You can wear your ankle-length denim skirts or only drink sweet tea and never say anything worse than, Bless your heart. You can go way beyond tithing, even up to and including giving 100% of your income as an offering. You can volunteer and work yourself ragged for Jesus. But in the end, in the end, you'll still be a sinner who will only be saved through Faith alone and God's grace alone because of Christ alone. It's all about Jesus. Or is it? I ask this question to all of us, including myself today, and I know it's very easy to look down on the Pharisees and their blindness to their own sin. When I said, these guys, right? Their whole plan was to trap him. It's easy to look down on their blindness to God's gospel grace. It was talking to them. It's very easy to hammer them on their damning sense of works righteousness and entitlement. And their willful blindness, eyes, and deaf ears that were not recognizing God's messianic promise in the flesh, right in front of them. It's easy to pick on these guys, but what about us? Is it all about Jesus? Is it? Some of you have sung the song Nothing but the blood of Jesus or Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Please, pastor, no more. But just because you and I sing the song doesn't make it true. And this is going to sound strange, but when we get down to it, the Pharisees didn't go far enough in their understanding of God and His Word, His promises. I know that sounds perhaps uh, moralistic on there, you know, as though I'm an authority, of which I certainly am not and when i mention that they didn't do the right things that sounds moralistic work righteousness but it's not you see they they looked at scripture and then they stopped at the part that dealt with the rules and the morals and the ethics they had 613 rules but they didn't go beyond that that was their comfort level They didn't go deeper into God's law. They didn't go near the part of God's law that revealed to them that they were miserable sinners who couldn't save themselves. They didn't go to the part where they were sinners who needed a savior. They went only as far as they were comfortable, and they didn't go any farther. It's kind of weird to think about it that way. But they didn't want to look in the mirror of God's law, of God's word. But I got a feeling they love looking in the mirror at themselves. They love navel-gazing, but they didn't like the rest of the corpse in the reflection. So what about us? Maybe a better question to ask is this. What is church? And no, I'm not changing the subject. What is church? Why does church exist? Be careful, because the right true answer may make you a little bit uncomfortable. The right true answer is revealed in the totality of Scripture and confessed by our faithful Lutheran forefathers under the threat of death. The church is where the Word of God is rightly taught and sacraments rightly administered. In a nutshell, the church is where Christ is present and at work. Why does the church exist? The answer is this, so that Christ himself can cleanse us of all guilt, and give us his peace, and nourish us with his life-giving word and sacrament. It really is all about Jesus. It's not Jesus on the periphery. It's not doing whatever our hearts desire or whatever gives us a warm, fuzzy feeling and then tacking Jesus' name on for validation. It really and truly is Him and His giving to us and His means of grace from the font, from the altar given for you and for me. And this is why I want you to honestly examine the whole, it's about Jesus' confession. That so many uh, are so quick to regurgitate. Can it really be all about Jesus if the primary concern is on you and what you need to do or how you feel? Is it really all about Jesus if the focus is on our budget or on a food pantry or on what parament color is up or attendance trends? Is it really all about Jesus if the warm bed or the bank account or the golf course or the yard work comes first? Is it really all about Jesus if we allow heretical denial of Christ and his means of grace because we don't want to make our loved ones uncomfortable? We don't want to hurt their feelings, but it's all about Jesus. Vocationally and baptismally, what do we proclaim? I'll tell you what we don't proclaim. We don't proclaim baptism of a, as a, an outward sign of an inward change. We proclaim that Christ is with us in that baptism. We proclaim what Paul said, that we died a death like his and, and raised a resurrection like his and that the Holy Spirit is imparted on us. It's the water, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and the faith of one being baptized. God's work in us. Not a symbol. And that's insulting to some. It's all about Jesus. What is the church's message to the world? Oftentimes that we hear or see. You may say, come with me. We have the best coffee and donuts. Come with me. We have the best choir. Come with me. Your kids will have the best time playing in our bounce house. It's all about Jesus. What about come with me? We don't have all the gimmicks and programs and lights and productions and distractions. What about, here is the Lord kneeling down from heaven to give you His victories over sin, death, and the grave. Come with me. Here is Christ Himself baptizing you into His death and His resurrection. His victory is yours. Here is Christ himself in our very mists, feeding us with the body and the blood. Hmm. Do you see the difference? It's there. And that's what I want you to be thinking about as you now prepare to go back into the world that the Lord calls you to be in, but not a part of. I want you to look to that font, to look to that altar, to look at that cross. Everything is focusing in on Christ and His all-redeeming death and resurrection. Everything is focusing in on Christ and His very present gifts and means of grace. The mission of the church is all about Jesus. The mission of the church is proclaiming Christ in Him crucified, and it all flows into Christ. It's all about Christ. The mission is always leading Christ's people to the pulpit, to the font, and to the altar. And at the same time, true and faithful mission is Outward spinning. Okay, what does that mean? Well, in a centrifuge where we take blood and we take out platelets and so forth, we spin it out. Those are life-giving things that we take out of the blood. We are life-giving. We go and we spin out the love of Christ. It's all about Jesus. Come and see. That's what we do. But notice that It's not our message or our gimmicks or our deeds or goodies that are spun out in an attempt to make disciples of all nations. It is the gospel reality of Christ crucified. It is His means of grace, and He calls us to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. It really is all about Jesus. And we flow to Christ, Christ alone and his means of grace. And our faithful response is Christ and him crucified for me and for you. And nourished and made alive in Christ, we spin out, into the world around us. Christ at work through us. His light shining through us to those who are still dwelling in darkness, the darkness of sinful ignorance and unbelief. And it's all so very alive what we have. Living, breathing, Christ-centered faith in action is alive. We flow from the cross and back to the cross. We flow from the altar and back to the altar, from the front and the back to the font. It's like I had described in another time the life of a Christian is like the waves coming to the beach and going back out, we come and we confess and we are forgiven and we go back out and we come back and we confess and we go back out. His mercies are made new each time we are flowing and our object is to go out and catch other people into that flow with us. Come, it's all about Jesus. My hope is this, is that you realize that he is very present with you and with me right now, and that his grace is imparted in the gifts that he gave and the gifts that we will receive, as Ken said this morning, a foretaste of the feast to come. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about what Jesus did for you.